This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. My name is Bob Callahan. I'm the founder and CEO of Business Improv, and I just had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Karen. And I'm a master improviser, and I also founded a company called Business Improv. And the three master business improv nuggets that we focused on in this program was around empathetic communication and building relationships and psychological safety and how to do that with your organization and the people who are important to you inside your organization regardless of proximity to each other, regardless of medium that we're going to use with each other. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to turn up the corporate culture, get people engaged, and have people talking to one another and have fun doing it, then today's guest has a special message for you. And my guest today is Bob Culhan. So let me tell you a little bit about Bob. Bob Culhan is the founder and CEO of Business Improv, a 21-year-old consultancy. He's also adjunct professor at Duke Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. Culhan has tailored on-site, virtual, online, blended, and open enrollment business improv programs around the globe for blue chip companies and organizations, including the Department of Defense, the U.S. Naval Academy, Jamera Emirates Towers, Sears, Mazda, Cisco, Cushman and Wakefield, Pepsi, Ford Motors, GlaxoSmithKline, Bristol Myers Squibb, Starwood Hotels and Resorts Worldwide, Capital One, Neutrogena, New York Red Bulls, and Procter & Gamble R&D University. Wow, that's a lot. Known as a master improviser, Cohen has spent the last 27 years studying, teaching, and performing improv. He's also the best-selling author of the book, Getting to Guess and The Art of Business Improv. Cohen uses the best of behavioral sciences to bring a high rate of return on investment for organizations and companies. So Bob Cohen, welcome to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. What a pleasure to have you on the show today. Dr. Karen, the pleasure is all mine. I, I can't wait to chat with you today. Excellent. Well, then let's just jump right in and let's get started. I know that you work with corporate executives, you work with companies and organizations, and you use your approach of improv with them. Before we get into that and unpacking the improv approach, how do you see today's corporate business climate? What signs out there suggest that corporate cultures might need some help? That is a great question. And I am fortunate in so much that over the last six months, starting in March of 2020, 
uh, I and a colleague interviewed 200 executives, thought leaders, industry leaders, academics, and are publishing three Forbes articles that specifically are dealing with what that corporate culture looks like. And right now, there's a state of flux that's happening between, of course, online and on-site and the yo-yo that exists from the pandemic and the emotional toll it ultimately takes on employees. And so where we're looking at and what most of those uh, conversations focused on was burnout and retention. And that is top of mind for a lot of executives right now as it relates to a culture that is splintering based on on-site versus virtual versus hybrid and the need to create something in this current reality. You know, that's really significant what you're talking about, because one of the things you're saying is that now that we're into the pandemic and we have these hybrid forms of working, the cultures are a bit more fractured or split. There's more work involved in keeping the culture together. So talk a little bit about what sorts of issues were you addressing pre-pandemic and then a little bit more about what's happened post-pandemic in terms of the issues you address for your clients. Pre-pandemic, there's going to be, a, a in the Venn diagram, there's going to be an overlap. And so I'll start with the differences of the pre-pandemic, and then I'll move into the overlap. So the difference is really what we were focusing on, uh, on one of the many were communication and collaboration, creativity and innovation, adaptive problem solving, crisis management, lots of leadership training, conflict management. And so you can see that there should be a, a, a greater Venn diagram, yet the largest focus that we have now in the middle of this is around employee engagement and connection and relationship building. We do a fair amount of communication and collaboration as well. However, the creativity and innovation is not top of mind for a lot of people at this specific moment. And I think that's because so much of this, whether you look at this as an opportunity or a challenge, it's still baked in the unknown. So no one really knows where to put their feet. So some of this advanced training is not as top of mind as really the basic core components of how are we communicating, collaborating, building relationships with each other, connecting with each other, and engaging each other. I would also say though that there is a need for team development in a virtual space, leadership development in a virtual space, and virtual culture, which is only becoming part of the conversation, even though we started teaching that five years ago, it's now becoming more and more top of mind as the reality is we don't really know what the culture is and we need to start forming it. You know, I find it interesting that perhaps there's a foundation in terms of the relationships, in terms of the engagement, and maybe some basic building blocks that are necessary before people are ready to consider the innovation and the creativity. And yet what I'm finding with corporations and with organizations is that because all the things they used to do in the past may not be quite relevant in the same way, they're actually in an environment that requires creativity and innovation. And yet what I hear you saying is that something about how they engage one another may be the precursor or what they need to do first before their innovation and creativity actually takes off in a productive manner or in a productive way. 
Yes, and I think that's because of the splintered nature of what's going on. It's it's even beyond silos that there are silos forming inside organizations, yet we're all operating independently, almost like entrepreneurs for the organization. So the core components of teaming, like communication and collaboration, are really being grappled with at this particular time. And if those aren't in place, the probability of creating psychological safety so that you can get to the space of divergent thinking and brainstorming and creative thinking and then convergent thinking of whittling down these ideas to a productive outcome becomes challenged. So you need a strong foundation to build that type of architecture for success. Yeah. So in a way, I almost think that we're in a moment where it's almost like a crisis, if you will, and you're having to help clients walk through the emergency part or the crisis part, even before they can start building maybe as much of the new as they might like to build, they've got to deal with what's right in front of their face at the moment. It's a little bit of what I'm hearing you sort of imply. Absolutely. In those 200 conversations we had, the great resignation was top of mind. And what we kept hearing independently of each other, me and my colleague, is that we can't win the money war. Everybody's outbidding each other. And I think that's a misguided focus that surely the money is important, yet that's extrinsic motivation. And what a lot of people are missing now is intrinsic motivation. They're missing the relationships. They're missing feeling valued and valuable inside of an organization. And that means that leaders need to look at this from a very empathetic angle. We need to look at asking questions and not coming to the table with the answers right away, asking questions of our employees. And those questions have to be centered around care and how are you doing and what what does this transition feel like to you and what do you think you need in place to succeed and showing them that you actually care about them. It's, you know, My colleague says only floss the teeth you want to keep. And that's the same with talent. Only talk to the talent you really want to keep. Otherwise, get into that bidding war. I think what you're saying very much resonates with what I'm seeing also in the marketplace. And that is there really isn't enough money that most people can throw around that's really going to make a difference. And it's only going to be a short-term difference at best because people really are wanting deeper engagement. And when there's an environment where there's fear, where people are concerned about their health, their well-being, if you will, they need to know, as you said, that someone cares values what they're doing because you know what at the end of the day when people are dying their friends are dying relatives are dying i've got better things to do than work for someone that doesn't care and doesn't appreciate what i'm bringing to the table so i definitely am resonating with what you're talking about and it certainly also dovetails what i'm seeing in the marketplace as well so let me ask you something bob when you think about business improv how is business improv different from theatrical improv? And just define it in general. Some people may not even know what improv is. So let's get to some basics. And what's the difference between business improv and what's the difference between theatrical improv? Uh, thank you, Dr. Karen. That's a great question because I think this is one of the biggest misassociations that people have with improvisation. So globally, improvisation is most, most recognized as an art form, specifically related to comedy, that you'll pay some money and you'll go to a house and a bunch of comedians will get on stage and make you laugh. And certainly that's my base for 27 years. That's my night job, get up on stage and just create in the moment in front of the audience, comedic pieces, theatrical pieces, even improvised musicals. And that's not 
how it's used in business. So the way I'll start linking this bridge away from improvisation to the business leaders and, and how we use this on a day-to-day -day basis is really defining improvisation as clearly as possible around three core competencies. And this is unique to business improv, yet I want you to think about these three core competencies and what happens around them. Reacting, adapting, and communicating. So reacting is focus, it's concentration, it's presence in the moment, it's ongoing as well. You know, it's not a reaction, that's a one-off. Reacting is ongoing. Adapting is if you're doing that within parameters or trying to achieve a specific outcome, you're reacting and adapting. Subroot to both of these is communicating, as we're not in a vacuum, right? We're, we have the opportunity to talk with each other in some capacity, or at least react to our environment in one way or another. So when you think about these three core competencies, link it to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. When are you not reacting, adapting, communicating? in the unknown because we can't structure every conversation. We don't have the ability to structure what happens around us with other people even know what they're thinking. So this is a skill set then that you can bulk up. You can really work it out and get stronger at it. And if you don't work it out, then it atrophies just like any other muscle. And so when you look at this, then as it links to, to business, it is how leaders communicate with each other. It's how teams communicate with each other. It is how we collaborate with each other. It is how we adapt to the unknown and manage crisis. It is how we manage conflict with each other and build a foundation of respectful communication with each other. And that list will go on and on and on as you look at those three core competencies and think about when and where we apply them regularly. Let me ask you then something really practical about this. If we think about this reacting and adapting and communicating, give us a practical example of something that might happen on a day-to-day -day basis in a corporate environment where you can specify this is the reacting piece of it, this is the adapting piece, this is the communication, this is an example of how it plays out, what it looks like. Let's take sales as an example. A client calls you and they have a specific problem or a specific challenge. It's out of the blue. They're an important client. You have to give them your undivided attention. Regardless of the fact that you were just in a meeting that had some heavy bags attached to it, you've got to figure out how to put those bags down, be focused and present in the moment to show this client that you're listening to them, to show this client that they're first. It's customer first. It's client first. They're super important to you. And they have your undivided attention in this moment. And then based on the parameters of the relationships, the parameters of the contract, the statement of work that's put into place, you're listening to what they're saying and having a conversation with them, so the communication piece that's centered around their needs, their wants. This does not mean that you break your statement of work. This does not mean that you go outside the scope of work and overextend yourself and get caught up in, in a rational escalation of commitment. This is all about building relationships. And a core component of building that relationships is listening because it's a basic human desire to be understood. Again, a basic human desire to be understood. Think about any great relationship you've had in your life. It's all about that you get each other. We, we have that chemistry. We have that connection with each other. We don't even have to talk to understand that something's going on with the closest people in our lives. And we can build that with our clients through any medium, through phone calls, through a social platform like Zoom or Teams or WebEx, we can build it in face-to-face. -face. The challenge I think a lot of people have is that they only associate that relationship building with face-to-face -face, as opposed to saying, this is a skill set. 
and I should use this skill set in this moment through this specific medium the same way I would a phone call to show that that client, that person is very important to you. Okay. So what I hear you saying, Bob, is that every day, all day, we're in a series of relationships that require these sorts of adjustments and where we can be fully present with one another from one moment to the next. And so the, the executive is having to change and make adjustments very fluidly as if they were almost like a dancer on the stage of life in some sense. So I understand now what it is that you're helping people to do in the workplace. Now, unpack just a little bit. How would you use improv to build that skill? What does that look like? Improvisation is based in postponing judgment. Let's start there. That whatever somebody brings to you, you take time to understand what they're saying to you and then react to it in some capacity. Now, the root of this is yes and. Yes and is the cornerstone of improvisation globally. Now it has, since we defined improvisation and looked at the difference between improv and business improv, I'll very quickly share with you how it's yes and is used on a comedy stage versus in business improv. On a comedy stage, yes and is typically defined as yes, I agree with you and I'm going to build on you. That's great on an improv stage. That works really well for heightening into comedy. That doesn't work so well in real life though, because for many people that means that you have to give up your own thoughts. So to be as clear as possible how we use yes and, yes does not mean I agree with you. Yes does not mean I'm gonna execute a bad idea. That's not yes. Yes is I hear you. Yes is I'm here, I'm present with you. Yes is I'm trying to understand what you're saying, Dr. Karen, on your terms. And then is the bridge to how I react to it or how you react to it. And is the bridge to your mind, your background, your drive, your passion, your voice. So more than anything then, yes becomes thoughtfulness. Yes is you have my undivided attention right now and is the bridge to how you're thoughtful, how you're present, how you're in the moment. Now when you move that over into postponing judgment, this is a way to collect information. This is a way to understand what people are saying. It's a way to unpack difficult conversations. It's a way to peel back the onion to get to the core of subtext or emotions. You know, it links to empathetic communication. So at its core, this specific technique is incredibly powerful and it turns into a Swiss army knife of techniques that it's not only a great ideation technique, this is a technique for core communication, difficult conversations, conflict management. This is a, a technique for building relationships, for slowing the brain down, to be present, to be in the moment, as that's tricky for a lot of people as well in this multitasking type of environment that we're in. You know, one of the ways I kind of talk about some similar concepts is to say, is the difference between listening to understand versus listening for the purpose of being an advocate for yourself. So most people are very accustomed to engaging in advocacy, less accustomed to listening to understand, and you really can't get to problem solving, if you will, or to the creativity or the next steps until you've really listened and understood the landscape and you know what's going on out there. And once you know what's going on, now you have options that the parties can collectively consider and then determine together how they want to walk the rest of the way, you know, down the road, so to speak. When you come with advocacy, you're probably going to walk down the road the way you see without necessarily seeing what the other person sees. And there may be a pothole that you didn't identify you know, in that process. 
Absolutely. And I think right now that pothole is steep and sharp and dangerous. And the choice to move in that direction where you're only waiting your turn to speak or thinking about what you're going to say next as opposed to really understanding what the person or people across from you are telling you is so dangerous right now. And it leads to this lack of value that people feel. And there's a way to reverse engineer that. And that's just show people that you're listening. Listen to understand, not listen to respond. Exactly. You were saying earlier, you started to talk about psychological safety. And this whole time we've been talking about relationship building in general. So say a little bit more about how these business improv techniques can be used for the relationship building and the psychological safety. When you think about the barriers to communication and collaboration, and I'm asking you and your listeners, just even pause for a second, just to think like what stops us from communicating with each other? What stops us from collaborating with each other? A core element of that is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of losing control, the the fear of what people are gonna think about us. If I say something off point or it's, it's not germane to the conversation itself. So when you have the ability to take something like fear among many barriers that we're talking about, you can define probably 30 barriers and it's all gonna work the same exact way. When you take these barriers and we'll focus specifically on fear and remove them, then all of a sudden you're not only giving people permission to say what's on their mind, you're telling them there's a difference between wanting you to speak and needing you to speak. I need you to say what's on your mind. I need you to articulate your thoughts. This relates directly to a brainstorming session. This relates directly to a creative conversation, a collaboration. This relates directly to relationship building where you are open to hearing what people have to say. You create this environment that, Dr. Karen, you could say anything to me right now, and I'm here with you. I got your back, and we're going to figure out how to go forward together. And that creates strength. You know, That creates that intrinsic motivation that now I want to talk with you. And I want to talk to you again and again because I'm not going to get my hands slapped for talking with you and being honest with you, being vulnerable with you. I'm not going to get shot down immediately because this is another big challenge. A lot of leaders default into saying no. They just go like right away. Like once they get to the senior leadership, like that's the go-to as opposed to pausing and saying, what are you talking about right now? Let me walk me through that that great mind of yours. I, I want to see the world through your eyes before I say no to you, because that still might be the right answer. No, yet just investing a little time in human capital in relationships, you know, that shows people that you listen, that you, you care enough to take five minutes to understand what they're saying before you say no to them. And that also puts you in the ability to be empathetic in the way that you're communicating. You could tell them point blank the reasons why it's not going to work based on what you're understanding and hearing from them. And that's so important to share that type of information with them. Yeah, I think people do really want to be heard. And even if the answer is no, at least I know that you fully heard me out rather than you interrupted me or had your mind made up before you got to the conversation. So I think what people fear very often is that rejection. They fear punishment. They feel some reprisal. They fear that they're going to be misperceived permanently, somehow labeled you know, in a way that's unfavorable when you think about the future and their success. So sometimes it can feel safer 
to say nothing. And of course, if you've got all the great minds that you've hired in your company and they're sitting there saying nothing, you're not benefiting from the talent, the value, the strength, the gifts of the people that you've actually brought into the organization. So I think it's great that you have a, an approach that facilitates people communicating at a deeper level, hearing each other out, delaying the judgment, you know, as you said earlier, it really does make a difference. Yes. And when you take everything you just mentioned and now move it to the virtual world where we don't have the opportunity to see each other face to face, I can't read your nonverbal communication. I can't feel the chemistry the same exact way on site. I can't compensate by saying, can I get you a cup of coffee? I want to walk through this with you and spend that extra time after this meeting to make sure that we're aligned and moving forward together, getting each other's backs because the computer closes and kids start screaming and dogs need walking and dishwashers need repairing and whatever else goes on inside our environments. So these little moves in a virtual environment then become even more important to show people that this relationship is not defined by how close we are to each other in proximity. It's defined to how close we are to each other in a relationship as people. Yes, I'm sort of imagining that there's a greater intentionality that one has to put in place the more there there's physical separation, like being virtual or whatever. You just have to put in a bit more effort so that the little moves that you make are perceived, they're heard, they're experienced, and the person gets it on the other end as you make the exchange. Whereas if you and I were in the same room and I hand something to you, that's really obvious. It's in your hand. You've got it. Now I have to make sure that you receive something that I'm actually handing to you and vice versa when we're in a virtual room. So that makes sense to me. That I think there's a greater need for what you do in today's world, even than before, because of some of those dynamics. Now, Bob, I know that you know that there are some misconceptions that people have about improv. So what are some of the myths that you can debunk for us about it? Uh, there's two big ones. And I touched upon one of them before that improv is only comedy. And that's it. And that's not true. Because when you think about sports teams, do they improvise on the field on the court? You know, in the moment as they're adjusting to the defense or the offense, if you think about military, or EMTs, I think about the last 20 months, first responders, you know, doctors and, and makeshift tents setting up camps and how to distribute a vaccine and, and the list will go on and on. If you think about special forces, if you watch any cooking shows, cooking competitions, you know, it's like, what's in the basket? I don't know, take it out, you put it together again based on your training, based on your knowledge, based on your experience, the relationships that you've had. And that's really where improvisation lives. The outcome of one specific type of improvisation is comedy. And that's one type of improvisation. So that's the first myth. The second one I would say is that people will dismiss this. They're like, oh, well, you know, this is what happens, what you have to do when everything else goes wrong. When the, when the excrement hits the oscillator, like that's it, really? You know, that dismisses the skill set around this. And in doing so, what they end up doing is qualifying. Qualifying why it didn't work so well in the moment. Well, this is the best I could do based on these unknowns that were thrown at me in this circumstance that's outside of my control, as opposed to looking at it from a different angle and saying, what is the skill set that I'm using in this specific moment? And how do I get better at it? 
how do I get better at as a leader? How do I get better at it for my team around me? How do I support them to get better at this? How do we get better at this in a time of unknown and so much change as a competitive advantage to the people who are not thinking this way, who are not training in this specific skill set? Because everything we teach as it relates to this art form is people skills and human connection. And that's business improv sweet spot there. And it's, you know, if you want comedy, we'll do a show for you. Like I said, I'm a professional. I rose through all of those great stages, the highest stages in Chicago, the hardest city to do this. I got my badges, you know, of honor and recognition performing on those stages. I can do that for you. If you want to get to Saturday Night Live, though, we're not going to be your company. You know, I can point you to the Chuckle Hut. They'll help you get to Saturday Night Live. If you want to know how to use these techniques for your business, for your team, to bulk up that skill set as a competitive advantage, then we're your go-to. Yeah, I think you're really talking about something that's really important and key. And that is when you think about return on investment, it's really about that advantage that gets created. Because the more you're able to adeptly and adroitly use these communication skills and tools, the better conversations you'll have, the better communication, the better innovations and creativity you'll get to while your neighbor might be over there fussing and fighting at their company because they're not practicing listening to understand. They're not practicing how to build on each other's ideas and how to sort of move the ball down the court in some kind of a more uh, mutual way, I guess I would say. So I think that's the real advantage that organizations can think about. We are learning something that's going to help us do what our mission is even better than how we've been doing it up to this point. So I think that's really significant. So you started to talk, Bob, about your backstory a little bit and being on these stages. I want to ask you about that more directly. So what is your backstory? What's been your upbringing or your early history that has prepared you or inspired you for this work that you're doing today? Uh, so the comedy backstory is uh, in high school, instead of, you know, when they had the talent shows in high school, jazz band would go up and then the curtain would come down blank screen and they'd wait for all the instruments to be cleared. And then the pom-pom routine would come out and do their work. And so what, or do the routine. Uh, and so what I asked for my sophomore year was to take that blank time in between the real acts as the curtain was down and we're just sitting there for minutes waiting for the next act. Can I just fill that up? And it turned out that though I didn't know it at the time in downstate Illinois, a town called Effingham, Illinois, that was called improvisation. That wasn't a common term in the 80s, you know? So uh, when I moved uh, up towards Chicago to go to college at Illinois State, local girl does good. And that leads me to transferring from Illinois State to University of Illinois at Chicago and start taking improv classes. Now, my degree though is in business. And uh, appropriately enough, I always say it's a BS in business. <laughs> So I got my bachelor's in science and business and actually was really good at business. So by before the age of 23, I won a Bank of America award in creative marketing. And so I had this opportunity, which direction to go, corporate America or improvisation. I left corporate America, dove in, submerged myself in improvisation, cut to five years later, I am broke. <laughs> I am so, I am bordal. The only thing I did as an investment as a young businessman was buy a condo directly east of Wrigley Field at a time that that area was not so nice. And I was uh, modest mortgage and I, I was struggling to, to do that. And I was doing everything possible not to get back into business. 
when I had the unique opportunity to create the first program in any business school in the entire world that focused solely on linking improvisation to business. And that was at the Duke Fuqua School of Business. So I had this opportunity to take something that I loved and I was good at business and something that was my skin, my blood, improvisation, and put this together in a way that really makes a difference for the people for whom we work and have the opportunity to partner. Because that return on investment that you mentioned before, that means something. It always has meant something and now it's even more important if people are going to invest money and time and energy, there should be a tangible outcome at the tail end of this. And so that's always been front and center for us. And that is how I moved from business school to uh, undergrad, undergrad to performing improvisation at an elite level, uh, four continents, the business improv has done six continents. However, different uh, countries, languages, I'd still perform if I could for you to where I am today with these different adjunct statuses and working with great business schools and leaders and having this conversation with you. You know, Bob, what I love about your story is it's sort of like the hero's journey in a sense, which is this, we all come into the world with certain proclivities. We have certain giftings and we may not know just yet how they're going to be combined so that we're offering our unique gifts to the world. Sometimes early on, there'll be some fits and starts and you know, we're traveling down this little pathway, might run into a little blind alley, have to zip around and go in a different direction. And then eventually it all comes together. And then we say, that's how it fits. Yes, I needed my business degree. Yes, I needed my corporate experience. Yes, I needed my improv experience and my comedy experience. And now I'm doing something unique. I have a unique offering to the environment around me that others may not even come at it from this angle because they didn't even have that background. So I love that because I really believe that that's how God has gifted us all with something unique that we can offer back to the world. And you've just unpacked it very succinctly how it's worked out in your life. So I I love that. I love just the example of it. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate your perspective as well, because, you know, many of my great friends are actually on billboards. <laughs> They're famous people. They have TV shows that you would know by name. And my path just, I'll get up on stage and still perform with them. So we're peers in that capacity. Yet my path really focused on showing leaders how to use these tools and techniques and doing it in meaningful, impactful ways. And that includes going virtual. For the record, we started going virtual in 2010. You know, our focus is link improv to business. And so with some piloting and prototyping, we were delivering virtually in 2017. And that's where in 2019, we said, let's create an async program. Let's create an online program. So our focus is really clear. And though I I don't know that I'd I'd be as bold as calling myself a hero in, in a hero's journey, it certainly has come with conflict, including that internal conflict of, you know, is this what I'm doing as my friends are becoming famous? And if I can perform with them on stage, shouldn't that be what I'm doing? Should I be performing this, this you know, gold ring that, that they have achieved, that they, they've grasped? And grappling with that, I think, was an important part of my journey to understand that what I do makes a difference and it can help people help themselves and help the people around them. So Yeah, so for me, it's a hero's journey for sure, because you're living out your purpose, you're living out your mission, you're living out your calling, and making a difference in the lives of other people. That's a hero's journey in my book and the way that I would describe it. And these others are called to do what they're doing 
And just because they're called to do that doesn't mean that you are called to do it in that way. You have your own unique place and space. So that's what I love about it. So Bob, tell us, in addition to all of these accolades, so many things you've already shared, you've also written your book, which we mentioned before, Getting to Yes And. So tell us about that book. What will be some of the key takeaways that someone will receive when they read your book? All right, so Dr. Karen, you're gonna hear a similar ROI. So whether it's an on-site program, a virtual program, that async program, improvisational communication, or the book, Getting the Yes And, it first starts with a ride the bike style approach. This is essentially the textbook I wrote for this style of learning that I want you to use these tools and techniques. So I walk you through how to use them. I walk you through how to teach them. I walk you through how to look for pitfalls. And also, I think it's important to, to mention that this is a Stanford University Press book. And the reason to mention that is because you cannot write a fluff piece for Stanford University Press. It's baked in the research. It's baked in the behavioral sciences. It's baked in the citations. So it's underscored with the understanding of how this actually affects other people. So that's the first part is the ride the bike. The second is that return on investment, that when you read this book, especially if you are focusing on that communication, collaboration, ideation, building psychological safety as outcomes of this, you walk out with that as the return on investment a powerful game plan on how to use these tools and techniques authentically for yourself, including that structure around you, how to bring other people with you. Because if you're going to lead any type of change, whether it's change inside your, yourself, you have to bring people with you or organizational. It's not a solo journey. So this ability to create support team around us is super important in leading change. And that includes inside our houses where maybe children look at us or partners look at us and, and how to communicate with them where, why this growth is important. Wonderful. That's phenomenal. So that's worth reading. So I hope people heard you and are certainly willing to purchase the book and to be walked through in a really logical way that's science-based, grounded in the research. That's great. Thank you for making that contribution. So how can people reach you if they want to engage with you, want to learn more? Businessimprov.com. Thank you, Dr. Karen. It's businessimprov.com is the website. And you can reach me there through there or find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. And we will get back to you. And we will get back to you in a very timely way. So those are the two easiest ways to reach us. Thank you so much. Businessimprov.com or LinkedIn. We'll put that in the show notes as well so that people can find you easily when they're looking for you. So Bob, as we're wrapping things up today, what are some words of wisdom that you want to leave with my audience of corporate business executives? That's a great question, Dr. Karen. And I think I'm going to approach this by asking everyone to take a moment of reflection and just define value, put value to how important people are to you internally, externally, on a scale of zero to 10, zero is I don't need people, 10 is I do. And also think about this old question, does culture eat strategy for lunch? And as you think about people and think about that question, I want you to think about how to help and support the people around you, how to empower them, how to create a culture that is boundaryless. It's not defined by a building it's defined by the people inside of it because that is culture, how we behave toward each other. And so with that, 
if you need help, of course, Dr. Karen and I are both here to help you, support you. So uh, I'd love a conversation. Excellent. Thank you so much. You've asked some very good reflection questions for people to think about as they're considering how they're building the rest of their house together with the people that they're in the company with. Thank you so much, Bob, for sharing with us today. I really appreciate you being on the show with me. Dr. Karen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. So let me just say to my Voice of Leadership audience and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership audience, let me say to you, we've heard a lot today, a lot that's extremely valuable. In other words, if you want to have better conversations in the workplace, listen to understand. If you want to have create psychological safety, you have to learn to communicate in such a way that people feel that they can share their perspectives, even if very different from one another. And what we both know is that when you share those perspectives that are different, it puts more fuel in the arena for being able to make the car go, go farther, go faster, go to different places. So you don't want to leave any fuel outside of the gas tank of your business. So I hope that you've heard something today from Bob about improv. And maybe you always thought improv was about comedy. However, we can have fun at work and yet work is serious business. And improv still facilitates the serious business of work. So as we are winding down and closing out today, I want to share a biblical word of wisdom with everyone. And this comes from the book of John, the 14th chapter, verse 12. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Now, the reason I selected this verse is because when you learn these skills and you apply them in your organization, your people will be able to do greater works too, because they will have the tools that they need to extend the impact to the next level. So have a great day and do greater works. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.